So this is our second week in the book of Habakkuk. And I want to just briefly paint the context again as we move into Habakkuk chapter 2 today. So Habakkuk takes place in, in a really fragile geopolitical moment. There are three great empires, none of which is the nation of Judah. So the great Assyrian empire who had obliterated the people of Israel, the, the, you know, the cousins, so to speak, of the nation of Judah. Judah's two, three, three and a half parts of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were the ones that were faithful to the covenant that God had given Abraham, the covenant that he had given to David, his servant. Israel, we had talked about this with the prophet uh, Amos and Micah a couple weeks ago, but Israel was unfaithful to God, and so God let the Assyrians take them away. So the great Assyrian Empire obliterated the people of Israel. So now, it's just little, tiny, little Judah. And now Assyria is beginning to wane, right? This great world empire that existed for several hundred years is now beginning to decline, and Babylon is beginning to rise. You heard Mike reference the Chaldeans in chapter 1, verse 6. That's a reference to the Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans. And so they're beginning to rise. So there's more and more skirmishes, more and more power plays, more and more political operations. And then the third empire is to the south of Judah. So, so Babylon and Assyria are to the north of them, and Egypt is to the south. So there's this, this fragile geopolitical moment that is surrounding the little people of Judah, and they're not a part of it at all. They have no say in this. Like whatever t taxes and tributes they're sending to whatever empire probably doesn't even like provide paper towels for the kitchen. Like they're just nothing in this great grand moment. And so the people of Judah are feeling extremely fragile, small, powerless, lonely, and then they're the faithful, those who are holding firm to the word of God and the promises and the covenant, are a much smaller subset of the people of Judah. So they're feeling even more, even, even more powerless and even more lonely. And so last week we looked at Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's complaints. If you look with me at chapter 1, verse 2, you can see them kind of summed up there. How long are we going to cry for help and you're, gonna, you're not going to hear, you're not going to do any of the stuff that we're asking you to do. Now, he's complaining there about the injustices and the violence and the bad things that are happening in Judah. In Judah. And so he, he complains about this, and it's, you know, we talked last week, it's natural for him to, to feel this way, and Habakkuk is reflecting the concerns of all the other, of his congregation that he pastors so to speak. But the situation gets worse for Habakkuk in his mind because God says in verse 6, I'm raising up the Babylonian empire, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. He's going to use the Babylonian empire to punish the wicked people in Judah. So, so Habakkuk's saying, uh, when are you going to do something about the wicked people in Judah? And the Lord says to him, don't worry, I'm raising up the Babylonian empire and they're going to take care of the wicked people in Judah. To which Habakkuk says, beginning in verse 12, he says essentially, how can this be the best plan you could come up with, God? <laughs> the Babylonians are going to be so much worse. 
How can this be your best plan? And so Habakkuk articulates a kind of a crisis of faith, a crisis that probably many of us have felt and probably most of us are a little feeling a little bit these days more than maybe we have in the past. And the crisis of faith centers on God. I just, what are you doing? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought to yourself after you finish scrolling through whatever news website you look at, after you finish binging whatever news media you watch, you know, have you ever felt like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's very confusing. Habakkuk, and specifically here, he's saying, God, if you're going to use the Babylonian Empire, does that mean that somehow you're okay with their violence? The, the violent means that they use to, to take over the world? Are you, are you, uh, do you love their glories? Like, are, are you like, that's, they're doing it right? Is that how you view Babylon, God? Are you going to let them win? Do you ever feel that way when you, you, you know, are you, God, are you going to let Putin win? Are you going to let, you know, whatever the bad guys in South America, are you going to let them win? Are, are you going to let those, the, you know, whatever your, whatever sort of embodies what you're anxious about in the, in the political moment, are you going to let them win again? Are you going to let them? And those pressures work against Habakkuk's faith and the faith of the people of Judah. Right? Do you feel this? I feel this. Do you feel that the, uh, the fear of violence works against my confidence in God and encourages me to adopt the means and ways of the empire? Empire in the Bible really is sort of like the, the highest, the best version, best version, I'm using in quotation marks here, the best version of worldliness. Right, worldliness is bad. Right, it's I'm going to do it on my own. I don't need God. I don't care about anybody else. It's selfishness. And empire is really the best version of that. Meaning they're the most effective, selfish, violent, greedy people. Right. So you ever feel like the fear of violence compels me to look down on God's ways and begin to kind of think maybe we should be doing what the world's doing. Maybe instead of putting so much time into my church, maybe I should be packing beans, bullets, and bandages in my basement a little bit more. Or the, the, the desire for those glories becomes so compelling. And, you, and it works against our faith, right? You, you listen to hustle culture and all the influencers and, and they're telling you, you can do it, you can figure it out, we can help you. It's just these 20 things, just these 70 things you need to do, just these 140 things that you need to do today and then we'll get you to where you want to go. The means and ways of empire work hard against our faith, but this is not a new struggle. It's what Habakkuk's working with. It's what Psalm 1 talks about. Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the person who, who stays out of the way of, the way of, the sinner and the wicked. But it ends and says, God knows the way of the righteous. There's two different ways to go about this. There's two different paths. There's two different glories. You can end up sitting in the gate with the wicked, but God's going to look at that and say, I don't know what that is. That's not mine. Or you can go through all of life away from the seat of power and end up where God says, you're mine. I know you. This is what Jesus talks about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
He tells his disciples to enter by the narrow gate. There's a way here and there's a way here. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy. Don't you feel that wide? Don't, you ever wake up kind of in a moment and go, how did I get here? What's going on? Why did I just buy this? Or why do I, don't I already have one of these? What is happening? You just, it's wide, it's easy. You just end up there. But it's the way that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow, Jesus says, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Our way leads to joy and strength and song. Our way leads to flourishing. Our way leads to that which is life indeed. But it's narrow and it's hard. We need to start this morning by honoring that we all can see the appeal of the wide, easy, well-attended path. Right? You don't have to nod to me, but nod in your heart. I, I see the appeal of Babylon. I see the appeal of the way that leads to the glories of this world and that avoids the violence of their threats. I see the appeal of that. And so because we all see that appeal, and Habakkuk is working with people just like us, what must happen next is that the appeal of the path that leads to destruction must be destroyed. The appeal of it must be destroyed. And what Habakkuk is going to prove and show is that all the glories of the world, all the world's glories are going to, in the end, simply fill a furnace. In Psalm 73, I'll be right back in Habakkuk in a second. In Psalm 73, the psalmist says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, for me my feet has almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I saw the prosperity of the wicked, and I was envious. And he goes on to say in verse 16 of Psalm 73, he says, But when I thought about how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. I discerned their end. So that's what Habakkuk is going to do for us now. He's going to do that same kind of job that sometimes the faithful need done for them. Because there's times when the faithful way feels really foolish. It's narrow, it's hard, your feet are sore, you're lonely, because everybody is over in the wide, easy way, and they're laughing. right? So there's times when the faithful, when we need the prophets and preachers of God to, to uh, help us understand the world's real situation more accurately. Discern their end. And so this is what Habakkuk does in Habakkuk chapter 2. Look with me at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against the empire, against Babylon, with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him. So we're talking about a taunt, scoffing, and woe. So is it nice to taunt people? 
That's, don't taunt. I don't know. If, no, you know, now you go to kids' sports games, there's like signs on the field that say, parents, no taunting. You know, apparently we were doing this for a while. Uh, no taunting, no scoffing. I mean, these are kind of like old-fashioned words, but if you translate, no, don't make fun of people, don't be mean, don't criticize. But that's what Habakkuk's about to do, because the appeal of the path that leads to destruction needs to be destroyed. And so what, what this actually is, when he goes in, he says, whoa, he's, he's basically uh, launching into a mocking eulogy. So it's super sarcastic. I mean, what he's, what he's about to say, he's, he's, he's essentially saying to the people of Judah, he says, we are, uh, Dearly beloved, we are gathered all here together to, to mourn and to say our sorrows, express our sorrows for all those poor rich people, because they got nothing. And all those, those really safe, secure people in their gated communities because they have no hope for the day of disaster. And all those hard-working people making this country run because they're working for nothing. And on and on he goes. That's what's going on here. It's not trying to be mean-spirited to them, but it's trying to wake up God's people to the reality that even though that way looks wide and easy, there's a lot of people on it. Our way is the path, as Jesus says, that leads to life. And so let's just walk through this section. Chapter 2, verse 6. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? For how long does he get it? And loads himself with pledges, that's with, with debts and securities and and will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. The first part of this that Habakkuk wants to expose is the poor rich people who are going to lose everything. Poor rich people, they're going to lose everything. And he says, how long do they get to keep what they've got? Because What's coming for them is they're next. Babylon just took it all from Assyria. They took it all from Egypt. Well, someone's going to take it all from Babylon. This is, uh, the Bible doesn't believe in karma, but this is a kind of a practical karma, right? So if you use violence to steal from everybody until you have it all, then all of the other violent people are going to come and steal from, from you. And that's what he says is happening here. All the other violent people are going to gang up and steal from you what you by violence have stolen from everybody else. So poor rich people, they're going to lose everything. Verse 9, he talks about the poor safe people who really have no protection. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. He says, their fall is next, and they actually have no hope. They nest up so high, what he's saying is that their house can't take the strain of it. They can't take the strain of how removed they are. And so when they fall, when it comes to an end, there's no one there to catch them. Verse 12, he goes on, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? Saying those poor hard workers, those people on the front of all the magazines who we look up to as, wow, their work ethic, their intelligence, they're, just, they're, they're knocking it out of the park. He says those, those poor hard workers, they actually do nothing. They do nothing. And so they end up having nothing. 
they end up with nothing as a result of all their hard work. I think he has to take that step here because we would look at them, right? And we would say, well, we know that they've got no hope when disaster comes. We, we know where the hope is. They've got no hope. But boy, they sure have it nice now. I wouldn't mind having what they have now, at least. And what he says is, mm, look closer. They have nothing of what people really want. They have nothing of what matters. Verse 15, this is a woe to the cool people. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Poor cool people, no one likes them. Poor cool people, no one likes them. Their glow, here's what's going to happen. Their glories today is going to be the measure of their shame tomorrow. Their glories today is going to be the measure of their shame tomorrow because they have manipulated their way climbing socially. They have, they have manipulated so society, their society in order, to get, in order to get to a place where they look glorious. But that level of glory is going to be how gross they look later. And we've had a great illustration of this in these last couple of years, haven't we, with the, uh, the Me Too movement, right? So... Whatever you think of them, a couple interesting things that came out of it was some creepy people got exposed, right? So you got uh, Weinstein, right? What is his name? I, I never heard of this guy before, except maybe like at the beginning of movies, right? But now what does his name mean? Right? However, however glorious he operated before through manipulation and through uh, all the other bad words that, that are synonyms for that, now he's that much grosser. Right? So that's a great illustration of the principle that Habakkuk is saying here. You have extorted and manipulated your way to a level that you feel makes you important and significant, and that's going to actually not just you're going to lose it, it's going to be the reverse. You're going to become a parable. You're going to become a byword. And then the last group that he mocks in lamentation is in verse 18, the poor, powerful people who are really just slaves. All the powerful people that we rely on to make all the big decisions, he says, who, who think that they're in control of things, he says they're just slaves, actually. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his, his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. These poor, powerful people, they have learned how to live from lies. Everything that has propped, and you can, you know, just imagine, right? Imagine what it takes to be one of the great power brokers in, in the cultures of the empire. All that has propped up their way of, of being in this world, all of their education, all of the media, all that they've read and interacted with and listened with, all of the, even the religion that they've surrounded themselves with, all of that, Habakkuk is saying, was a trick. It was a trick. They were following words without breath. That's a, that's a really evocative 
picture, isn't it? Words without breath. Where does breath come from in Scripture? Breath is from God. God breathed into Adam and Eve the breath of life, and so we became living souls. And these people are following words where there's none of that. There's no breath. So they're basing their life on and they're following words that have come from not God. <laughs> what is not God? <laughs> That's spooky stuff. But how much of our world is built off of words that have come from not God? All right, so Habakkuk is complaining to God. He's complaining, God, how is Babylon going to be okay to use? Because what if they accomplish what they want? Are you just going to let them accomplish what they want? I love dystopian fiction. I love, uh, I love 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, The Hunger Games. I love dystopian fiction. But dystopian fiction is not from faith. <laughs> right? Dystopian fiction is, is us catastrophizing this idea. What if that happens? What if they get to take over? What if, what if they win? God, what if they win? Faith is the opposite of that. But we worry about this. And here's what, here's what, in summary, God's answer is to Habakkuk and to us. Habakkuk, listen, don't worry about it because whatever is not connected to me is doomed. Whatever is not connected to me is doomed. But then the corollary, and now let's look at this a little bit more here. The corollary is that whatever is connected to God, all things serve. All things serve those who are connected to God, ultimately for our glory. Whatever is not connected to God is doomed. So in Habakkuk chapter 2, because of Habakkuk's worries about the wicked in, in the unjust in Judah and the wicked and the unjust in Babylon, God con- communicates to him and through him to the faithful in Judah. He says, listen, however big the empire gets, however big and powerful and glorious it looks, listen, they're next. Empires always end. Empires always end. It is a design feature of existing apart from God that you come to an end. Empires always end, and when they're done, they have no hope. And even what they have today ends up being revealed to be nothing and worse than nothing. All of their glories today that everybody's so, wow, taken with, tomorrow are going to be a gross joke because truly they have built their world off of nothing. And if you would like to learn more about this, let me encourage you to read history. One empire after another. And the modern moment, no matter what the empires say about themselves, is not going to be different. But whatever is connected to God serves all things. All things serve to their glory. Look with me at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 13. Here's really the, the main argument that God is making to Habakkuk, the main argument that Habakkuk is making now to us. In Habakkuk 2.13, the Lord says through Habakkuk, Is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire? They labor labor merely for fire. This is where I'm getting the central image this morning that the world's glories will fill a furnace. 
The world's glories will fill a furnace. But let me tell you something. Verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. The world's glories will fill a furnace, but God's glories will fill the whole earth full. Faithful people of God, is that a good word for you? The earth's glories are going to fill a furnace. They're going to be packed in there and lit and keep a small corner of the room warm. But the glory of the Lord will fill the earth full. What is not connected to God is doomed, but what is connected to God, those who are connected to God, well, let me tell you something, they will, they will sit at a table in the presence of their enemies. And their cup will be filled to overflowing, and their head will be anointed with oil. And goodness and mercy are going to follow them all the days of their life until they dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what's going to happen to those who are connected to God. So, we don't want to go on the path of the world and chase its glories. All right, so what's our path? And embedded in Habakkuk chapter 2 is our path as well. Our path moving from fragility to flourishing, which is the journey that Habakkuk is taking God's people on. And our path, our path is navigated by the glories of God. We navigate by God's glories. Let's start at the end of Habakkuk chapter 2. Verse 20, he says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This path begins by fearing God. Fear God, don't join in the folly of those who follow idols. Right? God is in his temple. There is only one holy temple and God's in it. There is only one voice before which all things are stilled and it belongs to our God. So we're sort of put in our imagination, in our minds, in the, in the temple of God, quiet before His glorious voice. But I wonder really, if, if the truth of our life was, was opened up to us for a moment, what temple would we mostly be in? And whose voice would we mostly be quiet before? What voices are, are stirring my fear or my desire? What glories are enticing me? So fear God is the first thing, and then the second, oh, they're all up there at the same time, is be filled. Verse 14, as we read, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. God wins, right? God wins. His glory is going to fill the earth like waters cover the sea. Uh, how full is that? How full does water fill the sea? I mean, like, all the way, right? I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing in, in the sea except for maybe Atlantis and Aquaman and stuff. you know. Like, but there's nothing in the sea that's not full of water. It's all full of water. That is how completely our God wins. Look at empire. Look at the, the fearsome things that they, that, that they threaten against each other and against the citizens of, of each other. And then read that verse. Our God is going to win that much. And so, chapter 2, verse 4, working backwards... The righteous shall live by faith. Right? God is glorious. He will accomplish His work. And so we can have faith. Because God is trustworthy, faith is the right thing to do. If God were inadequate in some way, then boy, works would be what you need to do. But, but since God is absolutely trustworthy, faith is what is right to do. You see that connection? Because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Because the Lord is in His temple. 
So faith is what is right. And, and I love this, this vision that Habakkuk gives us because when we see God in His temple, when we see God in His temple, it's not going to be any surprise to us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of His glory. We're going to see that glory. We're going to say that glory fills things. And when we see His glory and we see what He's going to accomplish, well, then that's going to make faith much more uh, logical. It's not going to be any stretch to go along with this God when we have seen His glory and seen what He will do. The world's glories will fill a furnace, but God's glories will fill the whole earth full. In the competition of empires, Christ's or the world's, one of them's going to remain. Right? One thing will remain. And so, friends, this morning, let me encourage all of us to worship and have faith. Worship and have faith. Right, because chapter 2, verse 20, that, that vision of the Lord in His temple, and chapter 2, verse 14, that vision of the world filled full is where we get our ability to have faith in our scary and frustrating situations. So worship and have faith. I've been thinking about what worship really is lately. I don't know if this is right, but this is what's been helpful for me, that worship is, like, is a double take. Worship is like when, you, when you're driving along at night, you know, and, you, and you, you're just sort of zoned, and then you, you're staring at the sky coming, you know, and, and then you realize it's beautiful. Right? You've been looking at it for, you know, 20 minutes, and then it clicks and you go, wow. It's, it's that dawning realization. You see something and you go, hang on. This is the thing that I'm very familiar with. I look at this thing all the time, but hang on. I'm noticing it in a fresh way. I'm looking again. I'm, I'm paying attention and reflecting on, on its glories. This is what we are invited to do before God. I mean, you're all, you've all, this is, you know, this, almost none of you is first time at this church. So you've heard God and glory and Jesus. You've heard these words. But what we want to happen is that, that moment of, oh, wait. How does that happen? Let me just encourage you with a couple things here. First, worship happens through prayerful invitation. I mean, so many times in Scripture, the authors of Scripture say, open my eyes. Open my eyes. Show me your glory. The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush is afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pick blackberries. (laughs) Earth is crammed with the glories of God. The glories of the Lord are everywhere. So we need to ask the Lord to help us see. And then let me encourage on our part, deliberate, disciplined re-examination of the truths of God. Which is what Sunday morning is, right? We're we're re we're, the discipline of getting here, deliberate discipline, and we're, we're rehearsing and refreshing in our minds the truth about God. We're, we're not trying to go through the motions, but there are motions involved, right? There are motions. If, if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you really need to be exercising, you know, at least 20 minutes a day, get your heart rate up, and you say, well, doc, I used to exercise, but you know, then my I just wasn't, my heart wasn't in it. I just hate to go through the motions. He'd say, it doesn't matter. Go through, some things are worth going through the motions for if they're really that level. 
right? Husband's wife, talk, you know, I, I don't want to take my wife out on a date anymore. I don't want to get her flowers. I don't want to just go through the motions, you know, and if my heart's not in it, she's not going to appreciate it, guys. Right? She's going to appreciate it. Some things are important enough to go through the discipline and be deliberate and disciplined about going through the motions. And so worship is at that level. I mean, don't just go through the motions, but do also go through the motions. Don't just, but do go through the motions. And these were all practices of the Old Testament. I'm quoting the Old Testament when I say, uh, open my eyes or show me your glory or, you know, show up at worship. But we have something even more helpful for us as we worship the Lord and think about his glories. We have, say it together with me, we have Jesus, right? We have Jesus Christ because, and here's my slides are getting kind of wonky. So you're just going to have to kind of look and fill out your bulletins on your own. Um, Jesus is the Lord seated in his temple. Jesus is the word of the Lord before which the world is quiet. Jesus and his work in the spirit in the church is filling the world full with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Jesus is who makes faith right because he does it all so we can only rely on him. He makes faith right. Jesus embodies the glory of God in a way that they didn't have in the Old Testament. We don't learn about the glory of God just by ideas or by the events of history, but we have a person and how he lived and what he said to convey to us the glories of our God. And so Jesus is where we look. Jesus is where we look to behold the glories of God most truly. You know, the answer, answer to the faith crisis that Habakkuk is in or his, his congregation is in and that some of us are in, the answer to that is uh, we just haven't spent that much time considering Jesus. And I'll say 100%, that's always my problem when I'm in some kind of fixated panic. You know how much time I've spent reflecting on who Jesus is? Zero. Jesus is who Scripture is always directing us to, though. To combat that. I said worship and have faith, but honestly, don't worry about faith. <laughs> Just worship, and faith will happen. How can you really look at Jesus and then be like, well, I don't know if I want to trust him. I don't know if he's got the right way. You worship and faith will happen. God's glory fills. That is a property of his glory. It fills. And it will fill the whole earth and it will fill us if we will turn our attention to it. If you want to turn with me to Psalm 73 to close. Psalm 73, we began and looked at what the psalmist says here, that uh, my feet had almost stumbled in verse 2, and my steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked which is very similar to the condition Habakkuk and his people are in. But then in verse 16 he said, and 17, the psalmist says, I thought this was too challenging to understand until I went to the sanctuary of, of God, the temple, and I discerned their end. And then look with me at verse 23. Nevertheless, Lord, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Every one of us has faith questions operating in our life today. We all have faith questions. We have glory questions. Where am I going to go to get the good? We have violence questions and fear questions. What am I going to do to avoid that? What am I going to do to obtain that? We have these questions. What will we trust? What will we use? What will we follow? And Habakkuk 2 reminds us that the world's ways is not the path we want to go on. But our Savior's glories will fill the earth. And and though His path is narrow and hard at times on the front end, we want to go to where He leads because because we want to be where He is. Because where He is, that's where glory is. Because He's glorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is... uh, It's a beautiful text, and it has this great destructive force, but also this great illuminating force. And Lord, every single one of us needs a little bit of that destruction, a little bit of that repentance brought into our life by your Spirit. The the glories or the fears that are operating in our hearts that have not been brought into connection with Jesus Christ and his glories and his kingship and lordship. But even more than that, Lord, we, we want you to do that work in us. But what we truly and, and most deeply want and why we are gathered here in his name is to see Jesus high and lifted up. To remember that he is the glorious one and that it is from him that all glories flow. And he has touched our lives and, and we love You, we love our Lord Jesus, and so we ask that that you pour out your love through your Spirit and draw us evermore, a little more today, towards Him. Help us to see more clearly His glories, to remember where He is in His holy temple, to remember what He's doing, filling the earth with your glory. And then, Lord, would would you make faith Come alive in our hearts as we know you, as we worship him. In Jesus' name, amen.